Okay, so we're going live and recording. So welcome to all the devotees that are here participating. And I um, want to thank Shana Sundar and um, for coming and being our interviewee and for Kuradas who is doing the Spanish translation today and all the participants for being here because if you weren't here, we wouldn't have anybody to talk to. So um, as, as you all know, we're doing a series um, of interviews and it's called The Beauty and mess Messiness of the Sadika's Journey. Um, and we've, this is probably our sixth or seventh interview now. And we've had some you know, really nice interviews so far. And it's an opportunity for us to all get to know each other. That's for sure, because I've learned so much from devotees that I thought I knew for 20, 30 years and <laughs> finding out all kinds of new things about them. So um, really an opportunity to go deeper in our connections. And I think for me personally, the main thing I'm hoping devotees will take away <clears throat> from hearing these interviews is that the messiness is a very vital part of our journey. And the more we can embrace the um, adversity and the challenges and the difficulties that come into our life, um, the more we'll actually find Krishna in the equation. So um, I'm going to start by um, reading just a short bio that Shamasundar gave me. Um, so he joined um, in Eugene, which is in Oregon, for those of you that, and that Oregon is in the United States. Um, and that was August 6, 1996. He got his first and second initiation on Balaram Purnim two weeks later. The services most members of the congregation know him for are his deity dressing, cooking, and writing a few Bengali songs that are being sung in the programs of the Sangha. And he's been in Madhuban now since 2009, doing all the services we just mentioned plus um, some personal gardening and teaching languages online to maintain himself and contribute to the ashram. And he's also the co-editor of the Madhavan Quarterly. So that's a short, uh, modest bio that's really, really packed full of impressive talents and attributes. I was thinking there is so much in here. I just wanted to ask a couple of questions. How many languages do you know? <laughs> I usually go by six and a half. Six and a half. Can you tell <laughs> us what those six and a half languages are? <laughs> well, Italian is my mother tongue, and then I speak English. I guess in order of fluency, English, Spanish, French, Portuguese, uh, German, and Bengali would be the half uh, language because I studied it for these songs and I have like a, a proclivity for languages, but I'm not like, for example, I could teach in, it, in all these six, lang in, yeah, six languages, but not in Bengali. I couldn't teach Italian in Bengali or something like that. But I mean, I'm, I'm familiar. 
That's so impressive to me. I'm like so language challenged that I have trouble with English. I can't even imagine trying to um, fluently speak another language. <laughs> so I'm I'm very impressed with that. And how how did you discover this language you have on your I think one maybe on your somewhere I saw you call yourself the language nerd. When did you discover yes. that you're you were a language nerd? <laughs> that would be my business um, name, Sergio the Language Nerd. If I can uh, <laughs> make a, a little shameless plug uh, in the context of all this, but because I said, I mean, the more money I make here, the more I can hope and count on being Madhavan's bank. Like, let's make this yoga pavilion happen and like, sure i'll pay for it i'll front the money that's the idea so that's wow. just you know so, so it's clear but yeah i'm set to the language nerd and, and um, it's a very young website a website that i'm slowly contributing to and i don't know it's just the name that i chose i, I used to go by language buff and um, it just happened um i when i hit middle school i was uh, sorted for german in Milan, we, we only have five middle schools that teach German. I was like, German? Who wants to learn German? And then, because everybody wants to learn English. And, um, but then the first grades I started to get were, to get were like top or a little, like A, A minus. I was like, well, I guess I, I like German after all. <laughs> and, then, um, and then middle school ended and I chose a language oriented uh, high school, which is the system in Italy. So there, German was the first language because it's the one I was coming with. English by default, you cannot learn English. And then I took Spanish at 17 in the third year. And then um, at, at some point, and then I took Russian also in the afternoon. Uh, just for fun, I was free. I was like, yeah, who, who am I not to know Russian? So I took a little bit of Russian. Um, and then um, it was just uh, triggering me. I remember once, like I was, when I was feeling down, I would just go to a, say, Barnes & Noble equivalent. I bought a little book in Portuguese or Hebrew. Um, it's just fun. I, I don't know if it feeds my ego or it kind of empowers me. It's like, all right, it comes easy. So, but yeah, words are very important for me. Words and colors are very prominent in, in, in my experience of the world. Yeah, so not only are you, <clears throat> have you learned languages but and speak them, but you're also a writer. Um, so you're doing a lot with words. Words are definitely your service for sure. Yeah, so. I'm just making a good use of a, I don't know if it's a bad bargain, but I mean, making good use with what I have. So I'm making my own teaching material and it's a lot of fun. I'm learning about my own language while teaching. I'm like, huh, oh, that's interesting. It's just like, I remember the first time I hear a word a new word I learned perusal from Brindaranya and expedient from Ch I just remember where I was who said it to me the day it's a I learned hubris from Asha Maharaj and it's just it just strike me just words strike just strike me. me yeah and and you're the thing is that you're not just a language nerd that um from your little short bio we also see that you do a lot of other things like cooking and I mean, all, all the pictures I've ever seen of you in Madhuban practically have been either gardening or cooking pictures. <laughs> yeah. So you have a lot to do with um, growing food, cooking food, making wonderful, delicious things. And your deities save also. 
So yeah, very well. Sounds like you're very well rounded and well suited for being at Madhuvan. So we're going to hopefully unpack all that as we yeah. tell your story. So um, the first question I just would want to ask would be, um, was there anything in your childhood growing up that gave you hints or clues about your um, proclivity towards a spiritual path? Mm, yes, not proclivity. It's a, let me start from the beginning because you were saying that you wanted to know how I'm nervous. So when I got your invitation, it's been a whole roller coaster of uh, emotions. At first, first of all, I hadn't understood what you were doing because I was like, sage there are no sages around the good ones are all dead so i i mean with, with all due respect with the local ones in our sangha and at present but i was like who is she interviewing <laughs> um so i thought that you were you may be interviewing gumraj or you know all the other uh, sannyasis maybe some other achari or maybe pretending that you were interviewing batino takur or something i hadn't understood so when i realized what you were doing I thought that is really uh, attractive because everybody wants to know the personal stories of our of us little soldiers. So, uh, actually, I'll make an, an intro. I've, so the roller coaster of emotion was nervous, embarrassed, um, humble, and uh, I keep forgetting the fourth one: nervous, embarrassed, humble, and uh, grateful. So yeah, I'm grateful to be part of this because as much as I like to hear because then of course I started with Maharhas which and uh, when I recovered from the shock of her life story I went and um, listened to the recorded ones and it was really really nice really inspiring so grateful to be part of this and to be able to make the devotees happy by just sitting here and talking talking about myself but embarrassed because what devotee wants to it's, it seems like so self-promoting self-aggrandizing like here i am but at the same time i mean like you said there's a lot to unpack it's all about um how mercy uh and grace uh, touched us so it's, it really has nothing to do with us it's, it's just the alchemy of how bhakti came into our life and that's what we want to hear now that i speak six languages but i'm i'm i'm, I'm um, I'm willing to share any detail about me, anything that could be uh, of interest. So I'm grateful to make the, the, the like everything I do is to make the devotees happy. My cooking, the didi, dressing, the singing, in the very least, Guru Maharaj. So I don't know if people know the geography of Madhuvan, but Guru Maharaj said that he can hear me from his house. I don't know how he can do it because once it was in his house, all I could hear was barely was the Madanga. But he can hear it and he was really happy to hear that the kitten was going on nicely. And so I sing toward his house when I sing. More than singing for, towards the deities, I make sure that he hears me because I have no other hope. I mean, I can make him happy with so little. So that is my, my focus. So that's why I'm grateful to be here. And I want to um, make sure that anything I may say Again, I'm trying to like overcome this obstacle of embarrassment. It's not for self uh, promotion, but you know, in a, in a mood of service. And I did all my prayers just to be like, hey, I do my prayers. Whatever I'm gonna say is what, what was supposed to be said. And I don't know. Um, but yeah, so nervous, grateful, and also nervous because I like to be considerate. 
And uh, I'm like, oh, I bet you the translator is not going to be able to keep up with me because I speak very fast. So I'm like, I should speak in such a way that is easy. You know, I shouldn't use too many phrases and idioms that are hard to translate. And but then I'm going to become I'm going to be stuttering in English because I'll be rethinking every word. So it's easy for the Spanish translator. So I'm already trembling because I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> by the way, I have some service communication. I will be saying some words in Spanish when I feel that they're going to be hard to translate and I'll keep the chat open. If anybody hasn't understood anything, I make myself available. Like, what was that story? What was that? Whatever. Just you, everybody's free to chat with me in Spanish later. And, uh, you know, I'll fill in on whatever the translation wasn't able to, um, you know, keep up with. So well, nervous, embarrassed, um, grateful. <laughs> And, and humbled because I was like, sage, me. I'm like, sage is, I'm not even thyme or rosemary. I'm nothing. <laughs> sage am I? But again, so I'm here in, in the mood of uh, service. Very nice. I liked how, what you said about um, singing towards Guru Maharaj's cabin so he could hear you. That's your only hope. And it brought the picture of Guru Maharaj chanting right behind Shiloh Prabhupada every morning. <laughs> yeah, it's very much the spirit. Um, yeah, so very beautiful. yeah, that's, that's, a, that is our only hope. And, and thank you for sharing your, you know, your feelings about doing the interview. I think it's really helpful for all the devotees to hear that because I've, you know, we've been asking devotees to participate and some of the devotees have been like, I can't do it. It makes me too nervous. So so you sharing that, I think it's really helpful. Hopefully other people who are feeling that way will come forward and, and, and see how it's not about talking about you. Like you said, it's really about glorifying Krishna in your life and, and seeing, I'm, it's so faith building for me to hear these stories, just how Krishna is acting in all of our lives mm -hmm. so perfectly. And um, it's, it's exciting. Yeah. So, yeah, so. You can maybe talk a little bit about if there was any your childhood a little bit and right right so you were saying you how yeah uh-huh and so i was listening to the other interviews i was like oh my god i haven't had any struggle i haven't had any you know uh, people were um saying that i had my crisis life was empty and i was like i've never felt like this it's been everything just so normal and i'm like i feel like an imposter am i even doing anything in this devotional pursuit because i heard the, the trouble the crisis the you know the tests that are the devotees the ones i've listened to so far went through it's like geez i'm like it's just been cakewalk and then again i thought of other things it's like maybe it hasn't exactly been you know a walk in the park but um no i wasn't really disenfranchised with life i never had that moment of like oh you know looking for the truth there's something wrong with life it just came to me what happened is that um and i might go back and forth because uh, uh you know i wanted to start from my birth but it's like i don't know what happened is that at 16, I became a vegetarian. I was born in uh, 1975 in Milan, Italy. And um, I joined, I didn't, well, I didn't join. I started to go to a cultural vegetarian society in Milan where the presidents were two uh, 
Iskanesh devotees. They, her name is uh, Paramakaruna Devidasi. She joined, um, I guess in Italy, but then she went to New Mayapur in France and she translated all the DBT books into Italian from France, but she also speaks English. So she was quite knowledgeable but you know she could see some things in the 80s in iskan already they were like wait a second some things are weird so she just started to preach separately promote vegetarianism and with a, a, a vaishnava imprint into it so i just stumbled in this association and so it just so happens that in her cultural vegetarian society and cultural was a key word she was, uh, for example, teaching Sanskrit on Tuesday nights. And then on Sunday morning, she had, um, um, what was it called? Um, uh, Hindu philosophy, something or other. She was just talking about the Bhagavad Gita from 10 in the morning until 1 p.m. And I was just attracted to all this stuff. Now, why I was attracted, I'm losing my voice. Just one second. <clears throat> I guess it was a bit of a, a seeker. I've always been attracted to just uh, knowledge in general. Not from a Gyani point of view, but I'm like always learning something. It's just, I cannot keep my mind at rest. Whittling or just anything, any gardening, new techniques, cooking. It's like I'm as manual and hands-on as I'm. I'm as much a gardener and a cook as much as I'm a translator and a teacher and a, just researching and stuff. So because of this thirst of knowledge, which is one of the four categories of people that do go to Krishna, as he says, um, I was attracted by the, I don't know, the unknown or the esoteric in a very generic way. So being that it was before the internet, all I had was a, a library and I was like, I'm not gonna go to a library. Actually, I did go once looking for a book on um, metempsychosis or however it's called in English, which is basically reincarnation in psychological terms. And I don't even remember what I read, but I was attracted by this idea of uh, reincarnation. What was there to say about that? So because of this interest, I guess, my steps were guided by providence or just by my sukriti and previous karma towards uh, these devotees eventually. But um, I wasn't too religious. My father was, um, you could say a communist, but not like he was a you know, Leninist, uh, Stalinist, Marxist. He was just, well, after second world war in Italy, we had the communist party and the Christian democracy party. My father was like, you know, I'm a worker. I want workers to be represented and, and, and uh, whatever, protected by politics. I definitely don't care for the interests of priests. So in that way, uh, and also his previous uh, wife uh, died to cancer. So he wasn't an atheist, but he, he wasn't that religious. He was just that kind of person. My mother was just a mm, traditional Catholic. If you're Italian, you're Catholic. It's just the way it is in Italy. You know, you get baptism and weddings and funeral. I remember watching, you know, Hollywood stuff. I'm like, they're getting married at the beach. They're getting a few, everything's just very, they get, the way you get married in Las Vegas. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, everything's done in the church in Italy. Not now much. My sister herself has become a minister of uh, whatever, the lay version of these ceremonies. But anyway, um, it's just, 
normal in Italy to grow up in a Catholic environment. But after when I hit puberty, I was like, I don't want to go to mass at 10 in the morning on a Sunday. So I'm not going to mass. I did the whole, uh, what's it called? Church, church school. It wasn't Sunday, Sunday school. It was like in the afternoon. I did all that, you know, prepared for communion, communion, I mean, Eucharist confirmation and all that. But when I hit 13, I was like, I don't even feel like going to mass. Do I want to call myself a, a Christian, a Catholic? So I had that much thought about that, just a little attachment to coherence and uh, consistency. So I was saying that I was an atheist, but not a belligerent atheist, like, ah, just like those preaching atheists that make you think, what are you doing? I mean, if you don't care, if it doesn't exist, why spend so much effort on it? I was just uh, saying, yes, I'm an atheist. But then, uh, well, first of all, I, I was constantly watching uh, documentaries on Islam and uh, just anything cultural. I lived on cartoons and documentaries as a, as a, a growing up. I never had a whole lot of friends. wasn't very sociable. Um, so um, I was, yeah, a seeker. So when I ran into these um, devotees who were the presidents of this vegetarian society, I was like, far out. And there are a few things here and there. I remember uh, I stumbled into a Harinam party and they gave me a little picture of them, the usual ah, thing. And I put it in my school diary instead of like throwing it away. I was like, check out this cool thing I stuck it on. Because in the, in the 90s, 80s, 90s, especially in Italy, we have this like huge uh, school diaries where you're supposed to note your homework and stuff to do, but people just filled them with their drawings and thoughts. It was like the Facebook of the time and they would share them with one another. And so I, um, um, I, I stuck the picture of the devotees because it was an important thing. And another time I saw them downtown and I followed them, but with much, you know, investment in it. It was like, it's just a cultural, it was just them as much as it was the, you know, Bolivian um, singers and dancers with the, you know, flues, do, 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 do. it was just a cultural thing and that's what it was. Um, so when I found out the presidents of this vegetarian society were devoted, I was like, that's far out. And then she was teaching uh, Bhagavad Gita stuff and I went one Sunday, I didn't understand nothing. I was like, I don't know what she's talking about, three hours, but whatever, I guess it gave me enough sukriti, enough purification. I think it was in February. Then I went again in May and I got the answers to everything. I was like, wow, this just all made sense. And, um, and that's how I felt ever since. I never, it just, it was like, okay, yeah, that's how it is. And I just adopted it very gradually. So I started to go to these, uh, Bhagavad Gita or Hindu yoga philosophy. That's what she was uh, labeling them as um, something seminar or something on yoga philosophy. I was like, all right. So I, I was finally getting my answers on karma and reincarnation and so many more things I didn't even know I was looking for that I didn't know. So it was just a gradual maturing and exploring. And then one day, Turns out that the people that were there, they were all kind of devotees and they're saying, we're going to the temple, are you going? I was like, sure, call my mother. I was 17, I became 16, vegetarian at 16. And then by the next year I was identifying as a devotee. So are you going to the temple? Sure, call my mother, I'm going to the temple. 
So <laughs> uh, it's, um, yeah, my teenage years were, I remember once uh, on a Monday, uh, my school, on the bus, my schoolmates were saying, what did you do last, uh, you know, Sunday? Oh, I went to the stadium because, you know, soccer in Italy is a big thing. Oh, I went to whatever. I was like, I went to a yoga philosophy seminar and they were like, oh my God, you're making me feel like crap. But, you know, I was cultivating my own interests like everybody else was. Um, so anyway, I went to the temple and uh, it was like the flavors, the colors, we went right in time for the four o'clock darshan, the deities, well, an ISKCON temple. Um, actually, this Paramakaruna made some pasta at the end of this yoga philosophy thing, made some pasta, and then she did the offering. And she had like a, a book, sort of, uh, you know, what would you call it? And what is that thing called? The material pressed wood, what's it called? Plywood, a plywood structure with like a little curtain, never thought anything about it. And then that one Sunday at 1 p.m., she opens the curtain and she had a whole array of deities. I was like, what? So she, she offered this pasta and then we ate the pasta and then we're going to the temple, are you going? Sure. So we went there for the four o'clock offering. And yeah, at, um, Kirtan after the 3.30 offering. And as I got in, Somebody, there were like three devotees having a kirtan and Sunday guests mostly. And one got up and gave me a play of cartels and I just sat with them and I just ching, ching, ching the way for 10 minutes. Like, okay. Um, and then I went for a walk and uh, everybody disappeared. I didn't know there was a class going on. I was left uh, to myself. And finally I found a class, I sat through it and then started, everybody started to dance. I'm like, uh-uh, I ain't dancing. <laughs> And then cut to, you know, the next time, one week later, I was like jumping around like everybody else. And so everything just came naturally. And um, it's always been um, a thickening of like, yeah, sure, it's what it is. That's what reality is. Not that I actually thought this is what it is. Just, I was just flowing with it. And uh, so I gotta say once Guru Maharaj said that I'm a natural Vaishnav, I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I think he said it to someone else too. But I mean, we all know, I got two things to say about that. First of all, we all know that Guruji is very generous. So <laughs> if there is one thing he says is my biggest defect is that I'm too generous. And we're like, that's fine. Thanks for that. So, you know, he says that kind of stuff and, you know, you got to make the Brahmana's words come true. And, uh, but I mean, he's also the first to say that Vaishnavism is a feeling. So if you're, you're a Vaishnav, if you have the feelings of a Vaishnav, the heart of a Vaishnav, so that kind of, you know, qualifies a statement right away. But no, I mean, on the outside, yes, like you said, a Vaishnav is somebody who cooks for the deities, who sings in Kirtan, who is conversant with Sanskrit and Bengali and the, and the scriptures, who, whatever, one of the qualities of the Vaishnav is Daksha, uh, expert. Like Vrindaranya, whatever Guru Maharaj needs for his seva, she just up and learns it, buys a book like so-and-so for dummies, and she does it for Seba. So uh, I guess you could see that in that light. But yeah, I've always felt like, yeah, I, I never even thought that Krishna was God for the longest time. It was just, it's Krishna. It's just this thing in your life. This, I wasn't thinking he's my friend, but Radharan is probably who I think of as God. But I would sit through the Sunday feast talks and, and hearing about yoga and reincarnation and this and that. It was just 
just accepting it. It's just, just how it is. It really struck me when I uh, was preaching myself and I was saying God, I was like, ah, oh, Krishna is God. Because coming from a, a Catholic background, it's a totally different thing. You know, I get this feeling of a religious person. I sound like, oh, self-deprecating, sad, or, you know, constrained and something or other. Uh, Catholic is a different, Catholicism or Christianity in Italy is a different feeling than it might be in, in the States. But still, there's a lot of clergy in, in Italy. Nuns and priests, it's like, it's like flies. No, I'm kidding. But there's a lot of clergy and they speak in a certain way. They have a certain demeanor. To speak about God, Italy's got the stigma. Like a lot of people think you're from Israel, you're Jewish. There's so many atheists in Israel. So in, in Italy, it's not like if you're from Italy, you're like, you know, chanting your rosary. And there's, it's just what you do. You baptize your children. It's just what you do. And, but nobody thinks about it much. So um, God. And so And then all the nuns and the priests and the religion teachers, there's so much, you know, bad rap on Christianity that they talk about anything other than God. It, it feels like, like you're, um, you know, a fanatic or something. So anyway, it took me a long time to associate Krishna with God and religion and spirituality. I was like, no, Krishna's fun. It's colors and miracles and lifting hills and all the seasons in Vrindavan at the same time and. And it's just weird, far out stuff. And, you know, compare that to Jesus Christ and all the, oh, verily, verily, I tell thee. No comparison, even just Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, which I didn't, who I didn't quite like at the beginning because, you know, I was thinking Krishna book and then Chaitanya Charitamrita is all straw and mud, all straw and mud. Everybody's wearing white. Everything is simple. It's like no miracles, no leelas. And of course, I have a different vision now. Thank God. Thank you, Maharaj. But um, yeah, I remember when I realized, oh, Krishna is God. And even in, you know, for the most part, I was um, translating back to God into Italian. So my um, exposure to Krishna consciousness was always through English. And I remember preaching in Italian. I felt like such a, we say bigot in Italian, but I think in America it only means racist. A bigot is something who's like very conservative in Italian, bigotto. Like, you know, somebody who would have, a, you know, oh my gosh, she got married. Uh, she got pregnant before getting married type of like very conservative religious mentality. So speaking about Krishna in Italian, I felt like, I felt like that. Speaking in terms of God. And so anyway, I think I made the point that Krishna was just normality, life. It's just this person who's on your mind all the time or who you refer to who you read about and um so uh, anyway so that was my first day at the sunday feast i remember the flavors this tamarind lemonade i was like what is this uh, i had a shock now i've been a vegetarian for one year and my mother was like what are you gonna eat because until then all i was eating was fried chicken and french fries cheese pasta anything soft and mushy like a tomato raisins uh -uh, could not eat stuff and then i became a vegetarian and my mother was like what are you gonna eat so but then i had a shock at the sunday feast and those flavors were like inconceivable 
all those spices, uh, cauliflower, cauliflower picotas. I'm like, the way you make cauliflowers in Italy, it just smells like gas, intestinal gas. And it's, like, it's not attractive food. It was just all the colors, the incense, the dancing. Everybody was uh, happy. These devotees were all humorous. Again, yes, there may be humorous Catholic priests, but um, they didn't strike me as religious people or as, as spiritualists. So growing up, yes, I saw, I, I used to spend, uh, I, I like to say that I used to be a Sunday feaster, Harry Bowler until I met Guru Maharaj, because that's what I was doing. When I, whenever I would have um, a chance, I would go to the Sunday feast, to the Ratiatra, to spend like a week or a weekend with the devotees, because that's where it felt like home. I remember one day, I used to go there on Saturday, and then on Sunday, I would do some service. I was the shloka on the blackboard guy for the Sunday feast. I was like, writing shloka for the Sunday feast talk and had my little services. But one day I woke up to go to the bathroom and it was, um, uh, the ashram was built on top of what used to be the barn and it smelled very much like uh, something, like camphor coming from the toilets. It was, it was not the most uh, um, welcoming environment. I was like, so at home, just for it being a Gaudiya Vaishnav ashram, it felt like you know I was surrounded by like-minded people, because whether it's my Mercury or my Saturn, I'm not going to get into the details on my chart, but I've always felt like a fish out of water, in general, not in you know in relation to my craving for for bhakti, and I'm always the oldest one or the the one who's you know to 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 skip in the future for a second. I remember being in San Diego as a rickshawala, uh, surrounded by 20, 30 year old kids, and uh, and there I was, older than them, with a background of like five years in an ashram and thinking, just, I've always liked people watching. It's like a movie, like, I don't want to sound like condescending, like, but these people don't have any clue about the ego, about the mind, about what drives them. And here I am driving the same pedicaps as them, but I have a totally different world view and who's going to understand me? So I always feel like out of place. But anyway, going back to that, um, I felt at home and um, it's um, a feeling that has always been there. So I never had the struggle. Like I've never felt like, is this really for me? Like, you know, sometimes people join and then they're like, this is not for me. The, the thought would never even cross my mind. When I joined in Eugene, when I joined Gumaraj in 96, soon after somebody was struggling um, and, uh, and I was talking to him and I think I, I, I don't know, I talked to him with the little knowledge I had at the time and I kind of convinced him to stay or to keep trying. And then I went to Guru Maharaj out of the blue. And I said, um, I think I went to serve him a meal or something. And I said, I'd like you to know that no matter what happens, I'll never leave you. And he said, oh, that's a nice feeling. Um, that's all I remember, but, um, it was crystal clear and he said that about me he's never gonna leave me so i mean i've always felt like the pilot flame of my bhakti just you know in a stainless steel box it will not blow away now it doesn't mean i'm a Vaishnava. doesn't mean my practice is solid doesn't mean i've made any advancement no but i've always felt nityananda's hand or guru Maharaj's hand hovering on my head 
Mm. And uh, it's always been like that. And uh, it's, it's always been like, you know, like I said, Krishna and or Krishna consciousness is just part of life. I remember being in San Diego at some point. I was in uh, Portland, Oregon, and Guru said, come over, because uh, I was in Europe after I left uh, Audaria, and I went to uh, it all, you know, the generate. I went to San Francisco to pay for my green card, and then uh, my mother died, or that was before, whatever. I ended up in Italy, and then um, Guru said, why don't you come back? He said, your material, your stay in the material world has lasted long enough, and maybe now you should come back. And I was like, okay. But um, he said, you could work for this person. You could work in this publishing house and nothing, um, everything fell through. But um, I did move eventually to San Diego to work for Vaikuntha Dev, who had this t-shirt business. Mm. So I had like very little money. And uh, so I moved to San Diego and Vaikuntha Dev was pressing to start working for him. I was like, I'm in a hostel. And, and I was like living three days here, three days there. But I always had this feeling that Krishna will take care of me. I will find a place. I will find a job. It's always been like that. I remember once at some point in my Rikshawala career, the Americans were calling the police on the Turkish and Brazilian pedicabbers because they were overcharging and kind of spoiling the market for them. And I was like, I'm here on a religious worker visa, which is a whole other Lila, I called my rickshaw Radha Prasad because it was a miracle how I got the license, the, the working license with a religious worker visa. But anyway, I was there with my Radha Prasad rickshaw. rickshaw. I was like, I can't risk to get caught by the police and get deported because then I cannot come back to my guru's country for 10 years. So I just stopped working. And I had eight uh, lessons of uh, pottery paid for. I was just going to, I was making mugs and I made those um, kalash for the installation of Gonitai at Audaria, some vases. And so that was fun. I, I was using that time to just make vases to, uh, to bathe Gonitai on the installation. But I, in passing, said to a lady that I only had $200 left. And she was like, how can you live? <laughs> I would be like in panic. And I was like, I, don't, I didn't say it, but I was like, Clearly, Krishna is taking care of me. It's, you know, uh, what is it? Vishwasa, the, the faith that he will protect. Vishwasa. And it wasn't forced or like scripturally based. It was just my feeling, which I'm really grateful for. Um, and that's what it's been all throughout my devotional life. I remember being stricken by Sridhar Maharaj's statement when he joined or was considering joining Goryamat, he thought, if there is anything fishy here, even if they put me on a throne, I won't stay. But if there is anything worthwhile, even if they beat me a hundred times every day, I will leave. So uh, I've always treasured that mentality and by Krishna's uh, grace had it. I remember that, I mean, I was very immature. I, I joined at 21 in Eugene, I was 21 years old. I had never worked, I had never paid taxes, never had any responsibilities. I had a lot of mental, you know, things. I was prone to depression. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a handful. And so um, I remember thinking, if Gurmanj ever kicked me out, I was just thinking about it two nights ago. I genuinely thought 
if Gurmaj ever kick me out, I'll just sit right outside his gate and fast until death. I was like, convinced, like, what else am I going to do? <laughs> How can I keep living? I mean, what am I going to do? And again, it was like a very, um, would you say, not very thought out. Like, you know, I wouldn't have like let myself starve to death and like would the other just have left me there? That's what I, there was no other solution. Just what the hell is Michael Marge hasn't, you know, has rejected me. What, what's out there for me? So that was my mentality. It's um, really, it's really beautiful. I was, <clears throat> remember, I think it was Srivast Thakur that Lord Chaitanya asked, how, how are you living? You don't have a job. You have this big family. How are you living? And Srivast Thakur said, well, every day I, I think, well, if, you know, I'll clap my hands three times. And if what I need doesn't come, I'll throw myself in the Ganges. And so, so I was thinking that's similar kind of mentality of, well, if Krishna doesn't take care of me, then what, whatever, I'll just do it, you know, I'll do myself in or fast to death. But the idea that, yeah, Krishna always does come through for the devotees and maintains us. And, and to have that kind of faith to be able to, you know, not be overly concerned about maintenance and, it's such a, a trap for devotees too, you know. I know I, I moved into an ashram for 12 years and I had a very wonderful experience of being free from worry about money and, you know, having to take care of myself. It was like, okay, Krishna's providing everything. And then going out and becoming a householder and how, you know, Krishna was still taking care, but it was seemed that I was more responsible. And so it became more of a challenge. That was one of my challenges. That's still one of my challenges. So I really mm -hmm. appreciate how you've been able to keep going in, a, in, a, in an ashram kind of situation and just have that faith. That's really, it's, it's a good, really good example. So I know who do I can, I can call now when I'm having a, a meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, things have changed now that I'm such a moneymaker and, and, you know, and a family person. It's, it seems so weird because I've always been like dependent, mm -hmm. always been like not the inferior, just but the one provided for. And it's always, I'm pretty happy now. Maybe my, I may, maybe I'm very distracted at this point in my life devotionally. I've got so many things going on but like Gurmaj says it's better to be a um, an outsider thinking when can I go back to the ashram when can I go then being a brahmachari and thinking oh if I had a life and again I always have the best of both worlds and I feel so um, embarrassed because I'm having my family life and dressing Krishna and touching Krishna Balaram every morning and they smile to me every morning and it, it's, it's just embarrassing. I, I meditate a lot on the name Govinda. He fulfills all your desires because it means it please, he pleases the senses. So people's desires are about the senses, whether it's your spiritual senses, and then they're all in relation to Krishna Seva or your own senses. Govinda is the one behind that, directly or indirectly. So I always got what I wanted in life. And I feel like it's humbling. I mean, it could go very bad. It could be like, hey, I got whatever I want. But it's really humbling and embarrassing. And 
So again, I feel I get the best of both words to the detriment of my absorption in bhakti like it used to be before, but I wasn't as well adjusted before. So now I'm making my own money. And again, I spend it on the ashram or on devotional things, whatever is necessary every time I get the chance. But it's really uh, important for me to be able to have that little bit of autonomy because as much as I sounded like a Sharanagata five minutes ago, it's really not that. There's a lot of um, struggle since we're here to talk about the struggle. If I ever felt any struggle, mm. it's mostly on the material human uh, level, not much my own faith. Like, is this the thing? Can I, will I ever succeed? There's one thing about the way I live bhakti is I'm a very positivist person. Mm. I, I, I couldn't deal with the whole, what's it called? Prarthana um, or like the whole, hankering oh when and well would that day be mine which i value and i understand as much as i can but i just i can't like oh all that absorption of maya oh my mind i'm like focusing on what's you know you know what's it called how how is the world an abode of uh, joy oh, yeah. what is there you know count your blessings how is the environment friendly so i never thought in terms of like oh I'm, i haven't made any progress or the kind of like good self-deprecation or good self-analysis, but I just cannot be, I wouldn't, I would get too frustrated. So, um, well, but I, there's still I was struggle. Just, I was just going to say that, you know, you have a disposition that seems to really help you to be able to practice bhakti happily and kind of found situations that have worked for you but yeah I mean I was just thinking about all the things that have happened in Madhavan since I've been you know yeah we went through earthquakes uh, and hurricanes yeah, yeah, and yeah so talk a little bit about that now that's I would I would die in that situation yeah, yeah. my biggest fear is you know for the next earthquake to be at night during a rainstorm uh and that's good enough. I mean, it's bad enough. It's really unsettling. You're like, is it mm -hmm. going to stop or is the cabin going to fall on top of me? And mm -hmm. so, but you get used to the tarantulas, the snakes, the bugs, the bugs, the mud, the dust, the Costa Ricans. <laughs> Everything is, I mean, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. But um, so what I was saying, the struggles are on the material side, the human interaction side, because it's like, live in elbow it's not like and the contrast between the spiritual and the material because many times you're there thinking well, are we god brothers or are we co-workers are we god brothers or are, are we transcendentalists or are we all you know uh, bickering on for is this the office like the, the sitcom is like are we office co-worker bickering on he said that oh he just wants to do this shit all those ego things and mind everybody just pours into the cauldron their own baggage of emotion and mind and so it's like living together like in the military elbow to elbow which is hard enough i mean it's a family that a very extended family where you know your brothers and sisters come and go you have to come to know someone Every couple of months, there's somebody new, and you have this like background of transcendental knowledge and experience, which is not exactly the same for everybody. And you have to deal with so many minds, you know, adi, 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 um, 
Atmika Klesha, you get the weather, the hurricanes, the people, the bugs, and and uh, so on a material level, like I could be living in a permaculture project right now and deal with the same difficulties. Oh, he said that she is like this. But on top of it, you have to balance the transcendental. Like, are you are you the temple prayers? Are you like a devotee? Or are you an acharya or are you a manager and manager? Are we co-workers or are we god brothers? Is this seva or am I paying rent or am I <laughs> you know somebody says something oh I should take it as a teaching because the only person I can change is myself and I should learn from it the environment is friendly meanwhile you're like yeah but so and so is behaving this way and having it go in a certain way and I cannot speak and it's really a lot of balancing you know the Absolutely. interpersonal relationships and, yeah. and then the balancing of the spiritual with the material they said it's it's more than being in the military or any other social environment where you're like elbow to elbow with somebody else yeah so that would be yeah. the struggle well that's but, i think probably for a lot of devotees i mean it's interesting because the the stories that we've heard from devotees have kind of showcased some you know, major event in their life that was, you know, very challenging in terms of maybe an abuse or something. But I think what you're talking about, the messiness um, of the, you know, relationships, because I think that is the most difficult aspect of everybody's lives, whether they're in an ashram or they're living at home with family and, you know, husband, wife, children. I mean, it's, I think, more than anything, those day in and day out interactions and, the, and how we get triggered, you know, um, it's all part of, it is part of our spiritual growth. It's you know, a major part of an art and a vritti. So anyway, just so you can maybe talk more about it, because I think everybody that's going to be listening to this has have probably really identifies with what you're saying yeah it's um i mean devotional life doesn't mean ashram life that's clear for everybody for me it has been because i spent oh i joined in 96 i joined gurmaraj's ashram and mission in 96 and i was asked to live in 2001 i think and then i I, you know, I was coming and going. I was living in Southern California and going for the Ratiatras and festivals. And then I joined, again, Gurmaj asked me to come here and I came in 2009. So it's been 12 years. So most of my devotional life uh, has been interacting with devotees. And um, it's, um, it's, I mean, it, it, it really all boils down to uh, your sincerity and and uh, your luck, because I mean, what 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 is my merit in being what sincere is Yeah, yeah, sincerious, sincere and serious. That's a good one. We should all be sincerious. Like I don't know. Am I really sitting down and thinking? Oh, I should. I'm like this, but I want to be like that. I think people have their own innate attitudes, like you know. For the most part, I'm, I'm, I'm known as the one who's always criticizing, always complaining, and always negative. Um, 
half of the time is always misunderstood if you ask me, but anyway, going back mm -hmm. to Mercury, but there's a bit of truth in both sides. So I'm not this like happy-go-lucky person. Um, mm. And that's probably one thing that I changed. But again, is it me changing devotionally or just like, you know, getting beatings on my gums from life, from, you know, living, you know, karma or whether it's karma or maya, it's all for learning. So right. I wouldn't say that that's how I developed and, and matured devotionally. But yeah, I try to be more, and plus, I just got old, you know, just with age, you make experience. I definitely am not the same 21-year-old 20 guy uh, when I joined. So, um, but yeah, going back to the struggles, it's just, um, if, I, if I can leave with some piece of advice, it's just keep the service attitude and just um, keep as sincere as you, as you can, of course. It comes with a certain, you know, baggage of knowledge and experience and involvement with the devotees. These are not just dry words if left at themselves. So maybe I can leave you with, not leave you like it's time to go, but I can stay three hours, but um, I can say this story that um, once I took, I hope it's to the point, once I took Brajalila and um, um, what's her name, Rati, to the airport to go back to the States. And then they told me, buy some um, hay for the cows. And uh, I did my shopping, I did, I put gas in the car, did everything responsibly. And for some reason, Gurmash called me, where are you? I'm at the store. Well, come back, come back or something. And I don't know what he worded in such a way. It sounded like I was like puttering around just wasting time like oh little kid went to town and he's just spending money on candy i was like oh, why is he speaking like that whatever so i did all my shopping I, I i put gas in the car and everything and i didn't get the grass because it was just late it was like sunset we were getting these bales from a guy we buy honey from and it was like dinner time and I was like, I'm not going to go there during his dinner. I guess who's going to cut grass for the cows tomorrow? I mean, I would have just chopped some grass, put it in bags, and brought it to the cows instead of coming with a bale. One bale. I was asked to buy one bale of hay. Mm -hmm. So I was like, no big deal. Somehow, Gurmash calls me. I don't know if he was informed or misinformed or he was testing me somehow. The, he called me over and he said, why didn't you buy the, the hay? And I said, well, I ran out of money. On top of it, I ran out of money and time. Uh, oh, so you spent money on this? And that. Well, no, I, I mean, I was paying gas with all the coins between the seats. Oh, so you did this and that. He was like trying to corner me. I'm like, what is this truth? What's going on? And he said, well, you know, this is not America. It's like a gated community. And I'm going to call you lazy on that because you didn't go there to you know, interrupt somebody's dinner for one bale of hay. And I was there sitting on the floor, he was in a chair, and I was thinking, that's when I was talking about Sincerius. By some grace, I thought, all right, he's calling me lazy for the wrongest possible reasons. You know, it's just the way it was. But am I lazy? Yes. So then I'll just take it. Who cares? Because what is the satisfaction in having your guru go? Oh, is that how it was? Oh, I'm sorry. It's like, no, that's, that should be everybody's worst nightmare to have your guru apologize. Uh, not like Gurmash doesn't apologize. Once he said, can you go up to my room, please, and take my child? I was like, 
don't please me you know like you know he, he's a he's a gentleman and I, you know but uh you don't want your guru to apologize if, no wrong no matter how wrong he is it's always the onus is on us to make it work somehow and sure enough because i had this thought of thinking mm. it's calling me lazy for something that didn't even happen but am i lazy yeah to some extent i'm lazy i'll i'll, I'll see how i'm lazy and take the teaching he didn't know he didn't know anything of that but because I thought of it, now it could be my whole esoteric reading of it. Uh, later on, he was on the same porch of my own cabin, just doing his thing because he didn't have internet where he was. And I was like coming up the road with a wheelbarrow full of gravel or stones. And he was like holding the gate for me. And uh, whether he just felt embarrassed for being so severe, so strict for something that ended up not being the case, or somehow, you know, the good in my heart talked to the good in his heart and he could see that, just see, he took it the right way. There was a lot more to learn than if I'd said, what are you talking about? I didn't, you know, just talking back mm. to your guru, which mm. I, I did, unfortunately, a couple of times because uh, anyway. And then the opposite is also true. Another big teaching happened another time when we wanted to sell the house in Eugene. So Gurmaj would come to the temple from the back door and sit on this it was going straight into the temple room this one day i was mopping the floor after breakfast or something and gurmash came from the front door and there was a burn mark on the hardwood floor uh, in the house that we were about to sell and gurmash said what is that and i said ah jivanuga dropped a giwik he he was going around with the gi lamp and dropped a giwik and left a big burn mark on the wood floor mm. nothing else happened after that but as soon as I said it, again, it could be my esoteric reading, I felt that what wasn't more, more important for Gurmach was not that the hardwood floor was damaged in a house that we were trying to sell, but like, look, this disciple, how fast, how quickly he, he was willing to sling mud on his god brother. Oh, Chivanuga. Like, I thought it was a good thing. Like, I'm on your side. I'm like, yeah, look at this burn. Whereas Gurmach, you know, he said it a couple of times, nothing pleases me more than to see my god brother, my, my, well, god brothers too, but my disciples get along in Seba. Mm -hmm. And conversely, nobody, nothing displeases them more than to see this kind of like, not like I had any beef with Chivanuga, but I could tell as soon as I spoke and I was like, oh my God, I just criticized my own god brother in the presence of my, of my guru. No matter how right and how objective the thing was, he dropped a flaming giwik on the hardwood, hardwood floor. I'm 100% sure that he could see that. My reaction struck him more than the fact that somebody accidentally dropped a giwig. So yeah, I mean, we should always feel in our pulse and, and, and keep a service attitude and an open attitude. How can I change? Because you cannot change anybody else. And it's hard. It's serious. I like it's serious. <laughs> Speaking of words, yeah, I even make them up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. I love those kind of... You can get away with it when you know lots of different languages and you can say, oh, I think, you know, just combine them and it's great. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, te the teachings of the interactions with the guru, I know um, Pamanava Swami recently has been talking about in, his, one of, in one of his recent classes about being edited by Guru Maharaj. He's having his mm -hmm. book edited, Guru Maharaj is... Yeah editing it and how that's you know 
been a, a surrender, you know, of his heart to, you know, let go of parts of the book, you know, with big sections. So take this out. You don't need this. <laughs> you know, just be so he realized that actually he's not editing my book. He's editing me. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, wow, that's just such a beautiful um, way to look at it because it's true. Gumaraj, he's editing us and he sees, you know, he sees our, you know, he sees past everything and sees, you know, I mean, he sees our soul, but he also sees our conditioning and he can, it can be brutal sometimes. And, but yeah, if you take it with the right spirit, like you did with, you know, in book, the first case, how you were able to just not, you know, defend yourself, but you just kind of took it. I mean, that you could have had a discussion with them. That would have been fine too. But the way you took it, it turned out for you to be a real good lesson in teaching. And, and yeah, and I think it's, it's really healthy for us to share these things because we're all going to get have our you know opportunities to practice humility tolerance respect with with the guru disciple relationship and our god brothers and god sisters there's just hundreds of opportunities a day to yeah you know, that's why Guru Maharaj writes Shri Guru. Sorry to cut you off. That's why um, um, Guru Maharaj writes Shri Guru in his books because mm. it's a much broader reality. It's true whatever you said about Guru Maharaj, but it's like broader than him too. It's about Shri Guru because he, whatever you said about Guru Maharaj doing to us, he may doing it to us and for us without even knowing. Yeah. It's like this current, the spiritual yeah. current totally. happening. That's why in the Bhagavatam, you, you, there are so many gurus, like, oh, my, the water is my guru, mm. the bee is my guru. So yes, yes. even without knowing our guru teaches us, clearly Sri Guru acts through our guru, <laughs> obviously. But um, oh, Krishna, yeah. Krishna is, you know, directly working through the guru in a very particular individual way for each of us. And yeah, having that, seeing that from that perspective, can be so helpful so yeah so that's um i want to leave a little bit of time for questions um from the is that okay that we open sure. questions uh, yeah, uh, yeah 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 no problem. anything else that you would want to say to um uh, well, yeah i've said one tenth of what i thought i'd be able to talk about no matter yes, how fast i, I, I know spoke. the time the time flies on these interviews i know I know. Again, sorry for the to the interpreter because I was really speaking fast, but that's my usually how I speak, and I usually tell my students I'm not on cocaine. I'm just passionate because it's like <laughs> not that me is my favorite subject, but you know if I have a lot to say, I speak very fast, and then but. Um, Akrur yeah, said I, he would stop us if we were speaking too fast, so he okay. didn't. He didn't stop us, so I think Great. maybe we did okay. Well, he'll let us know. He'll give us some feedback, I'm sure. And again, I'll extend my invitation. If anybody who speaks Spanish got lost in the translation or whatever, they can you know, contact me personally and I will happily fill in the gaps in their own native idiom. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. And I know we could have 
unpack this for hours. Um, that's the, the only downside I think of these interviews is we're condensing a whole lifetime of experience and coming to Krishna and you know trying to mm -hmm. showcase it. But maybe we'll have opportunities to do you know more interviews with the same people down the road. Just yeah, I'm all for it, even in relation to everybody else who got interviewed and will be interviewed, interviewed. I'm I'm ready for 2.0 2. you know, from, from everybody else because it's you know there's sure. always so much it's an so infinite much. topic because again it's not life, it's not auto autobiographies, but it's how bhakti touched us and graced us. Right. So many stories. I was just thinking about my own life. And I was like, oh my God, I went through some and so many crazy things happened to me. I'll say one that's that really I remember. Once when I was um, in Italy because I had to, uh, well, basically my visa expired. I, when my mother died in 97, I came back with a entry only visa and then I got it extended. But um, it, it, it looked like I came into the States with a, a one way ticket. So ever since then, it's problems for me at the airport. They look, they put the uh, circle mm -hmm. I that goes for stands for inspect. They give me so much hell for that. Anyway, um, my visa expired. I couldn't extend it. Something anyway. I, I went to Italy to make money for the green card because originally I wanted to get the green card and live uh, at Aldaria or close to Aldaria, whatever the case was. Um, so I ended up in Italy and I was working in all kinds of call centers and places where they could value somebody who speaks, you know, most European languages. And of course, I was very distracted. I, you know, Ekadashi is the first thing that you don't do. And then turning your rounds become, you know, very sultuary and everything. And um, I was just very distracted. Again, never quite, quite felt like what was I doing with my life? I always had this like, pilot flame on and one day it was like a summer late summer evening I uh, there was a storm happening as it happens in the east coast or in, in Italy and I heard the thunder and just casually looked outside and the sky was clear and there was this big blue cloud with lightning going through it which is what they say about other Krishna scriptures sometimes they're described as Krishna is like a blue cloud and Radharani is what sheds light to that cloud. Uh, she is the Shakti and she makes the cloud visible. And it was dusk, so I could see the sky and the buildings and everything else. But I was really like humbled. I was like, just see when there is no search for Sri Krishna, there is a loving search for the lost servant. Krishna is going out of his way to make me remember him with like <laughs> fireworks and lightning and, and, and clouds. And, I was like so not sad, but like really moved to tears. Like God is like, because there is a person on the other side. It's not like philosophy and sadhana. It's like oh, I, there is a person we're interacting with. Wonderful person who can eat a, a forest fire and so many things, who is everything and everywhere, and a person at the same time. And but a person nonetheless, if we choose to approach the absolute in that in that, uh, you know, as Bhagavan, as opposed to the other two aspects. So it was really like, uh, humbling. And the same thing happened one night coming back from San Jose from a program. This time it was pitch dark, it was here, because here highways are not <laughs> illumined. 
So we were driving in the dark. It was the rainy season. Gurumaj was uh, um, in the front seat. Anandanam, our local Anandanam, was driving. And I was in the back. And all of a sudden, this lightning happened. Boom! And it, and it lit another big black, a single cloud. It wasn't like a lot of clouds. Like it was a big cloud in front of it. And I told Gurumaj, do you see that? And, you know, and we talked about Adharani, how Shakti makes Brahman appreciable or appreciatable how do you say that or knowable etc and he he liked i mean whether he was reminded of that by a, a, you know because you know nature is constantly talking to you about krishna here we have so many calf hoof prints filled with water and how can you not think of the bhagavatam and that verse Everything makes you think of, of Krishna if you're tuned into it. So Gunraj, naturally, if he see, I would think that if he sees lightning uh, shedding light on a dark cloud, what else are you going to think about? But it was really nice to live that. Okay, I have to say another one because it was really nice. Once we were coming back from Brightenbush, we went to the hot springs in Brightenbush in Oregon. Um, so on the way back, it was dusk. Um, and uh, this disciple of Prabhupada was talking to Guru Maharaj about the Nazis and the Aryan, how, you know, Sridhar Maharaj was, how the Indians were thinking well about, uh, thinking positively about the Aryans or the Nazis, this kind of stuff. Meanwhile, it was sunset. And the incoming, the highway wasn't too separate. It was like on a bridge or something. So there was our lane, some space, and an ocean of cows coming, cows, oops, gave it away. Uh, an ocean of ca cars of all colors coming the opposite direction. And it was so dusty and they created this slow cloud of dust that went all the way up to obscure the sun, which was sunset, so it was low. And I was like, wow, this is like motorized Godhuli or something. And then I looked at Gurumaj, and while the other devotee was yakking about Nazis and stuff, Gurumaj was looking at those cows. It really was like Godhuli on the highway. So I was like, wow, we're on the same length. We're experiencing the same thing. That was super sweet. All right, let's, I can. Yeah, so that. many beautiful <laughs> things to remind us. If we're tuned in like that, yeah, exactly, to be able to, you know, see Krishna in everything, every moment of our lives. So. Thank you for that. Those are really nice stories. Um, I do have a question here from Sumadi. She wants to know how you met Guru Maharaj. Oh, I was in Vrindavan. And physically, I met, met him in Vrindavan. If you want to go a little more esoteric, <laughs> which reminded me of another story. I got to say this one. I'll say it as fast as I can. When we decided to leave Eugene, uh, because the congregation was very much not favorable anymore. I made this cake and moksha in Bengali is pronounced mokka. So I made a mocha cake. It was chocolate and fake coffee. And <laughs> so I told Gunraj, I made a mocha cake. He was like, Shamasundar is always looking at the philosophical <laughs> esoteric anyway. So yeah, esoterically, I could tell you that I asked Nityananda Prabhu. I went to India for a pilgrimage when I was... Uh, after my high school, um, you know, I was the fifth child of my mother after five miscarriages. So I was the sixth, the only one who actually survived. And the third 
child of my father, but the only son that he finally had. Little did he know that I'd be homosexual. But anyway, he thought he'd have a, his son, etc. But um, so I'm not saying that I was spoiled. I have two sisters who are 11 and 17 years older than me, who sometimes would see the contrast, not much the older one, the older one was already married, but the 11 year older one was like, God, this guy, everything he asks, he gets it. Because, you know, for my mother, I was like, he, I, I'm finally the fetus who survived. And so whatever, I said, can I go to India? And sure, I got the money to go to India after high school. And I went on a pilgrimage everywhere, Vrindavan, Mathura, Dwarka, everywhere. So I found this uh, magazine from Bangalore to Puri called Mantra Tantra Yantra Vigyana. And there was a, an article about the guru. And I was like, yeah, I should be, I, I was a you know Sunday feaster, Hari Bowler at that time already. I, I was, um, what, 19. So I'd been a devotee for two whole years. And I was like, yeah, I need to find a guru. But I mean, Prabhupada waited 11 years before getting initiated. And the, the climate in Iskand is what it is. What, what, what am I to do? But so anyway, I was really stricken by that article about the importance of the guru. And then I came back and during my civil service, uh, which we have to do in Italy, if it's not military service, it's a civil service. So I was working in a co-op um, doing stuff. So um, it was Kartik. So I made this solemn vow of chanting one round a day, begging Nityananda Prabhu, please come to me as Sri Guru, because what am I gonna do here? And, um, so let's see, had I been in India already? Maybe I'm mixing two stories. Yeah, no, okay. So I saw this, um, this magazine, then I went to Puri, then I went to Mayapur, then back to Vrindavan. And there, I, some devotee, whose name was Shama Sundar, now he's Parivrajak Maharaj, if he still a sannyasi, I hope for him. Um, he was a disciple of Sridhar Maharaj, and he was translating Sridhar Maharaj's books into Italian. And he was at the Rupanuga Bhajan Ashram in Vrindavan, which was co-owned by uh, Narasimha Maharaj and Guru Maharaj. So he invited me over to help him translate and take prasadam because I ran out of money. I had to take a plane from Bangalore back to wherever because of the flood, something. Um, so I was out of money. He said, you can come and take prasadam there. And there one day, Guru Maharaj, you know, these Indian houses that have the central courtyard with the bars for the monkeys. So Guru Maharaj's room was in the corner. To go to the bathroom, he had to go through the book room into that kind of like inner balcony to the bathroom and back to the book, book room and to, into his house or room. So I was there translating the golden volcano of divine love into Italian with this Shamasunda. And then on the way back, Guru Maharaj stopped. And he was so unassuming. I was so used to the iskang gurus that you know back in the 90s when an iskang guru would come for the sunday feast talk people would chant jaya Prabhupada because that's what they used to do in the 70s and eight well in the 70s and and he's a representative so and it was a whole take off your shoes bow down every time you see them thing and there comes the sannyasi with maybe his uttariya on no danda i mean clearly he was going to the bathroom so you know a little short man and then he comes back and he says who is this young guy and Shamasunda said, he's um, an Italian, he's a friend of the devotees. I remember thinking, a friend of the devotees, I'm a devotee. A friend of the devotees who's helping me uh, translate in the Golden Volcano. And Guru was like, welcome. It was a weird look. 
that I've been saying this story for 30 years. And that's how I've been saying it, but I'm pretty sure that that's how it happened, that he went welcome. And it felt like, there you are, finally, kind of thing. And that was it. I was like, you know, sannyasi with the beard, like in Iskand, they're always super glowing. And it was like little short man with the beard, no dunda, no garland. I was like, okay, whoever that is. And because uh, uh, originally I had been, had darshan with Narasingha Maharaj when I went with this Paramakaruna who eventually had moved to India. We went there, we had darshan with him. He gave us, he gave her the inside of Guru Maharaj's um, Prabhupada's canvas shoes that he had dipped in bronze. So it was a whole Acharya thing with him. I didn't know who Tripurari Maharaj was. But that was the first meeting I had with Guru Maharaj and that smile and that welcome. So later on, I was doing my civil service and praying. I had been corresponding with Narasingha Maharaj. And because um, meanwhile, they gave me all kinds of books to translate into Italian, uh, you know, by Puri Maharaj, by Paramadvaiti Maharaj, by um, Narasingha Maharaj, and I got Rasa. So I was corresponding to with Narasingha Maharaj, and I said that uh, kind of like as a prospective guru. But then I read Rasa and I was like, oh my God, who is this preacher? Love relationships in the sexuality of the soul? Who preaches like that? I was not like, you know, at the Sunday feast, you hear the sex is illicit, illicit sex. That's the only thing that accompanies. He's talking about the sexuality of the soul. But I knew he was talking about, well, the Rasas and how it went from, you know, uh, conjugal, where, how do you say? Um, you know, yeah, conjugal rasa in the material world being the most entangling, and then it gets more and more purifying until you find the teacher, and then you attain shanti, and then the teacher, or you know, vatsalya becomes uh, lower compared to other, and then you know, conjugal love is the highest thing as much as, as much as it's the lowest. I mean, it's probably common ground right now. It's like sure, but when I read the book, I was like. And the way, the words he used, I was like, what a preacher. There's nobody else like him who, who, who speaks like that. So, and then I ordered uh, ancient wisdom for modern ignorance, which incidentally, I heard the Guru Maharaj said he would not even, you know, if it came nowadays, he, didn't even, he doesn't even like those books. To me, they were eye-opening mm. the way he would preach. And so um, after reading ancient wisdom, and again, knowing what he was talking about, but the words he chose, the, the kind of the quality of the preaching, I felt like offering a glass of water to the picture of him at the, in the back cover. So I was mm -hmm. telling that a single Maharaj all that. And um, so I don't know, uh, one letter led to the other. And he said, um, Narasingha Maharaj said, I'm coming to um, Italy to preach because he had a little thing developing in Eastern Rimini on the East Coast. And you could come with me and translate, just do the service of translating as I preach in Italy. But that never came to happen. So I was like, all right, well, how about I go to Eugene? And that's how it all started. I moved there. And then two weeks later, I was the head pujari <laughs> of Goni that, that I found very fascinating. That two weeks after moving to Eugene, you got first and second initiation. So... Gumash saw something in you that he yeah. doesn't do that. I mean, that's not a common. <laughs> on the day of my initiation, <laughs> on my initiation day, I was like a Christmas tree. I had a Harinam Chadar. I had 
I made myself some Tulsi armlets with kavachas, and I had that, you know, not a single prasad made of silk threads, one oh, of yeah. those. I made female dough um, stamps with the chakra and the kanj. I was like a Ramanuja Bhakta, and uh, <laughs> I was like big Sika and everything. And so Nangumraj went to town, and when I, when he came back, I was chanting my first authorized rounds. I was like, chanting out the whole series of exercises. And Gurmaj said, I would really like him to dress the deities. Because, you know, they put all the vanity onto something worth it. And that was the beginning. It just <laughs> never, that. That never stopped. That's great. Well, we have a few minutes left. If, if there's a question from anyone who's on the call, let's see, other than Sumati. Anybody else have a question? Cora, you have any questions from the Spanish side? Not Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a very interesting question. Um, yes, but um, again, I came to the realization that we're not Paramahansas. So this is like a hospital inside of a, of a, of a prison house. Because, you know, the material world is a prison house, if you want to see it that way. And, and, the, and a transcendentalist is crazy. <laughs> By material standards, we're crazy out of our rockers so we're in some kind of like psychiatric ward um and but it over even on the material level it can be quite testing so what i'm hoping to do is live here for 10 months and just if i could get my vacation like two months which you know most of the people here they have parents who can fly them over they would take you know pre-pandemic uh, a month two months off to be with their family and somehow it would make her make them hanker being back here and sometimes I do get the burden of the mud and the dust and the and the constant birds and bugs and earthquakes and hurricanes and bureaucracy and everything but if I could take two months vacation and then come back here with all the shopping that I'm already thinking of doing and all the ideas and all the money and then sure I, don't, I, have, I have no problem living here the rest of my life I mean even just from for my health from the very most basic corporal uh, bodily conception i can just stretch and get a, an organic lemon a mango or ginger everything i got gallstones gallstones so everything for my liver is right here i got dandelion and stinging metal i wouldn't live in any i wouldn't live in any place with the winter <laughs> where you know stuff doesn't grow and then boxed up in an apartment and um, you know here i can teach and work all over the world while living here but no, it is, it is, when it's not heaven here, it, it's hell. I'm supposed, I'm not supposed to say these things, but I, I really value sincerity or honesty. And so clearly you got to have a transcendentalist mentality and, you know, the environment is friendly. And yes, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else, but maybe for two months, <laughs> if I could take a little break. 
<laughs> that would be uh, ideal. So that's well, my you had to get answer. your lesson somehow. So Krishna put yeah. you in an environment that's most of the time is very idyllic, and you have some periods of time where it it's very challenging. Yeah. A lot of people prove that they couldn't like, they couldn't live here for yeah. three months. Gumar said Madhuvane is go to Sundar, Shama Sundar, and Braja Sundari somehow were you know tempered and vaccinated in more ways than one because we got vaccinated <laughs> last week. <laughs> so well, <clears throat> I guess we are pretty much out of time unless there's one quick question somebody else might have. Um, probably end on that note. Um, so I really thank you so much for coming and putting yourself on the um, hot seat, so to speak, and uh, yeah. <laughs> and dealing with all those emotions that you had and you didn't you didn't write mm -hmm. to me the day before. I changed my mind. I can't do this. <laughs> no, no. I would, again, like just in the spirit of service, I wouldn't have done that. But like twenty years ago, I would be shaking and because I got this problem that like I was being nervous about the translator not keeping up. Sometimes I want to say so much that the words jam in my mouth and then I start stuttering and I'm like, oh, they're losing interest. They're not listening. And I was afraid that would happen, but- No stuttering. If you get not me to one. talk, that's- <laughs> So how do you feel now at the end? Do you feel relieved? Do you feel, do you have any- what's going on no i'm again i'm just uh grateful and um you know, i could talk about our devotion you know even just as a conversation i'm ready to hear as many life stories from other devotees yeah. as much as i am for any other meeting like i said we should do all we should all we should all yeah. do this yeah. twice three times around why not yeah we have a we have man we have some years some of yeah. you have more years <laughs> you know, so Someone can take my place when I go and can keep doing it. <laughs> well, thank you so much and um, so much appreciation for your hearing your story. And yeah, the messiness is really a lot about relationships and on the micro level, you know, the little things that go on every day. That's, I mean, for me, that's always been the messiness for me too. So I really appreciated that. All right, so next week, um, let's see, we have um, Indra Nuja is going to be uh, our interviewee next week. Um, he's from Scotland originally, Prabhupada disciple who took um, his first initiation from Prabhupada. He took second initiation from another Guru, but he's reinitiated. Um, by our Guru Maharaj, um, and quite an interesting fellow, good sense of humor. So I think we'll, everybody, please join us for that. And we'll see everybody soon, for maybe Sunday or before for another one of the calls. Bye. Thank you, everybody. And thank Bye you for the chance. Hari 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 Hari